Take your Bibles once again, if you would, and turn to the New Testament book of Philippians. We'll be looking at verses, uh, or we'll be looking at verses three through eight, but we'll read verses one through eleven. Philippians chapter one. It's found on page nine eighty. If you're using a pew Bible, let us uh, listen carefully to God's word that He has given to us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Amen. You may be seated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. We need to be reminded of that in the days and the times in which we live. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that as we come here this morning, uh, that we get to partake and participate in uh, divine things. Uh, Lord, things that are lofty and great. Lord, to hear the word of the living God uh, proclaimed to us. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would work in our hearts, O oh God, to understand these things. But Father, uh, as human beings, we can have a tendency to be totally satisfied which is understanding it intellectually but lord i pray that your work would be complete it would be effective that it would lord uh, burrow down into our souls to even the motives and the attitudes of our hearts uh, god that you would change our will and our affections lord that we might love you and walk in obedience to you we thank you father and pray this in your name amen well, as we look at our uh, passage today that we read, we could see that the Apostle Paul loved the church at Philippi. I mean, it just his love just sort of leaps off the pages of this letter that he wrote to the Philippian church, the believers that's there. And, and in verse 3, we see that as the names of these people come to his mind, that his prayers are full of thanksgiving. I, I like the way one preacher described it. He says, it's like the, there's like fireworks going off. The Apostle Paul's heart was just stirred with such joy for these believers. Um, he loves these people passionately and completely. Now, let me look at this text again. And if you would, begin in verse 3 and just note the number of times that he uses the word all. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, that is, at all times, 
in every prayer or in all my prayers of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and then skip down to verse 7 it is right for me to feel this way about you all because i hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you see it, it's important to connect the inclusion of all the saints in paul's prayer with what was going on at the church at that time um, you know there was a lot of struggles that were happening a lot of attitude problems a lot of sense of promoting my own agenda our own ambitions and there was some squabbling and fighting and dissension in that church and yet paul is even in his thanksgiving is modeling before these believers how he loves all of them there's not the in group there's not the out group there's a sense in which he loves them with a with a pastor's heart and it's important to to connect that uh, because uh, in our culture and the day and time we live uh, we struggle with that you know and i don't know if you've ever thought about this but sin is always antisocial. it's always antisocial. whereas reconciliation redemption is is something where it brings people together and Whenever there is sin, it tends to dehumanize the people in, in our lives, no matter what that sin is. And just, just think about the different sins that you struggle with and how that does dehumanize others. Uh, no longer are they objects of our willing affections. No, they, they quit being the people we find joy in loving. And rather, we sort of reduce them to one of two things. They're either, I, I, Paul Tripp uses this, they're either vehicles, they help us get what we want, or they're obstacles in our lives. They get in the way of what we want. And so our, our natural way of thinking about other people either leads to praise as they show us favor or criticism, and we find fault in them because they don't get us what we want. But Paul was thinking about the Philippian uh, not in a divided way, but in a way of praise. Instead, he was thinking of them, about them, causes Paul to thank God. Now, what about us? How, how do we view the brothers and sisters here at Kirk of the Plains? Do we love them? All of them? Or do we struggle maybe with some? How do we view Christians from other churches or other denominations? How do we view uh, Christians from non-reformed traditions? Do we speak kindly even about the differences that we might have with other brothers and sisters? Well, Paul prays with thanksgiving uh, for the evidence of spiritual blessings among these believers. As I said before, he's, he's not insensitive to the problems of this church. Paul loves this church, and we looked at this last week. Uh, this is, you know, uh, he loves all the churches, I think, but it's sort of like, you know, do you have a favorite child? You know, well, we're not gonna go into that this morning, right? But, you know, sometimes maybe, uh, you know, you do have uh, an affection for, I don't know, we're not gonna get into that anyway. <laughs> but he did love this church very much, okay? And it's just evidence uh, of, of the writing and the history that's there with this church. Um, but 
Paul, even though he understood the problems that were there and the struggles that, that these believers had, he was even more sensitive to the mercies of God and the work of God in their midst. And brothers and sisters, I want you to hear that. We need to hear that today. It's, it's, it's you know, there's going to be differences that we're going to have with one another. But we need to be more sensitive to the mercies of God and the work of God in our midst. And, and we see this throughout this passage, but particularly as we look at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Both Paul's thanksgiving and, and his supplication for them, that everything we sort of read in verses 3 through 5. I mean, in verse 4, he talks about those prayers. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He's emphasizing that there's not only thanksgiving for these believers, but he is pleading. He is coming before the throne of grace. He is praying for them. And, and in all those things, whether he's giving thanks for them or he is lifting up their needs and he's praying for them and maybe even praying for the, some of these struggles with sin, there is joy in his heart that arises out of his conviction of verse 6, that God began a good work in them and he will complete it. But also on the evidence of God's work that we see in verses 5 in verse 7. Now, let me read verse 7. He said, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Right? There's that sense, that, that love that he has for them. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see, the first reason why he can praise God is because of the assurance of what God is doing in verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, right? The tense of that verb began points to a decisive and deliberate act by God. It's something that God has done. It's something that God has planned and he has ex executed to perfection. Uh, we, we see this throughout scripture, but let me just use one example from the church at Philippi itself. If you remember back in Acts chapter 16 is where we see the whole church plant taking place where Paul comes and he proclaims the gospel at Philippi. And in Acts 16 verse 14, we read this, that one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And then notice what he says next, Luke says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to hear and to pay attention to what Paul had said. Paul didn't speak, or Luke didn't speak about her faith as something that she exercised, that she had faith in Jesus. And that's why she came about, but rather the work of God that was done in her heart. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that this, this is the story of every conversion uh, um, in the, uh, that takes place. 
It's, it's a work of God originating before the foundations of the world when he chooses us in Jesus Christ. And I know that for some believers, this is rather offensive because they want to think that they had something to do with their salvation. Or they think that if this is true, then, then are we nothing more than robots? And, and, and there's many other objections they have. But if you really think about it, brothers and sisters, it brings us great comfort as, as his children to know that when our commitment to God is fickle, and it is, is it not? I mean, aren't there days where we are hot for the Lord? We are on fire, and we want to share Jesus with everybody that we come in contact with. And we're just like, we've had our devotions that day, we had an extended prayer time, and we're like ready to go. And then there's other days where our schedules are busy, and we get through the whole day, and we don't even think about the Lord. And maybe that's not just a day, maybe that's a week, maybe that's even a month, and we're, we're rustling, and we're off and we're on, over and over and over. Oh, but thank God that our salvation doesn't depend upon us, but the grounds of our salvation is the will of God, that he began that good work in us. If, if the decision was up to us to choose Christ, then none would be saved. If it weren't that the Lord had been moved by his own spontaneous and unexplained love to choose his people before the world existed, then none of us would be saved. But praise be to God, he did. So the good news is that he who began a good work is the one who makes sure that that work is done. He says at the end of verse 6, and he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God finishes what he starts. God never gives up. God's work is by definition effective, brothers and sisters. Now think about that. What a glorious truth that, that he will take us to heaven. In other words, God finishes what he starts. The fact that we will continue in grace is as certain as the fact that God uh, cannot lie. And he will go on working in us. And, and so, of course, this assurance guarantees the outcome of our lives. That God is working to a schedule, to that day of Jesus Christ, right? It's a, it's a fixed day that he will have us ready for. It says, if God is under contract to himself and to his son to complete that which he says that he would do, and the day will come and everything and everyone will be ready. There won't be a sense in which God will be scrambling at the last minute to keep his word. God is faithful <coughs> to continue to do this work uh, in and through his people. And so for his own glory, the Father must one day see every knee bow to Jesus and hear and every tongue acknowledge his lordship. And our salvation is as assured as the coming of that day. For it is we, the saints... The, the believers, the objects of that good work who must be made ready for his coming. As Paul writes to the, the church at Thessalonica, he said, On that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at in all who have believed. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're struggling with today, what temptations may come your way, 
what trials may may be setting you and the things that you were wrestling with. There may be that you are here today and you are discouraged. There may be some that are here today and you're thinking, God, I just can't go on. God, I can't do this anymore. You are not alone. The Lord has promised that he will keep you to the very end. He will give you the strength. Turn to him. Rest in him. You see, you need to understand that this assurance not only guarantees the outcome, but it guarantees our everyday experience. Because in all things, God is punishing, putting the finishing touches on us, right? Uh, maybe you've heard years ago that uh, I, I was uh, uh, very much in Christian education before I became a senior pastor, associate pastor, church planter and stuff. So I, we did a lot of vacation Bible schools. And there were always songs about kids being under construction, right? That's the sense that we see that we're still under construction and God is working in us. So whether it's good days or bad days or difficulties or blessings or unexpected happiness or unexpected trouble, it all has the purpose that God is making us like his son. And God is preparing us for that day. As one person put so well, they said, the perseverance of the saints rests on the perseverance of God with the saints and what he is doing in us and so let us rest in that but we not only have that assurance because of the work that God is doing in us but also because of the human evidence that we see now that's probably not the best title but I couldn't think of anything better you know but the human evidence or the evidence of that work of God in the life of his people and we see that in verses 5 and in verse 7 but if you look back at verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Now, as you, as you, if you took just that part of the verse, it would seem like Paul is basing his confidence on sentimentality, right? I, I just love you guys. I just have you in my heart. Doesn't it? This almost sounds like a Disney movie, doesn't it? You know, uh, that's that sense. But that's not what he's saying. Look at the rest of the verse. He goes, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you see paul is saying the love that i feel for you is only possible if your faith is as genuine as my faith is if you have a true faith in jesus christ and he says and i see the evidence of that faith Yes, you may squabble. Yes, you may have difficulties. But I also see the work of God in your lives. In other words, the faith you profess is matched by the outward evidence of the kind of life that a child of God will have. Even John talks about this in his first epistle. He talks about the topic of Christian assurance. And, and he, he sort of explains how you can know whether you're truly a believer. Young people, maybe you struggle with that. You've grown up in the church and you've heard a lot. Your parents teach you at home. They catechize you. They pray with you. You know, they love you. They want you to know the Lord. But you struggle to know, am I a believer? How do I know? And of course, John says 
it is part of it is our experience of God's spirit that's living in us. But without a doubt, his emphasis falls on the public testimony of our lives. In other words, it's not just what we say, but it's how we live. Do we see the evidence of genuine compassion? Do we keep uh, Christ's commands? Are we living as, as Jesus lived? Do we love our brothers and our sisters in Christ? Do we love others even outside the church as well? These are the grounds on which we can know that we are children of God. And therefore, and that's why the Bible calls us to confirm our calling and our election to make sure that it is sure. It's by means of the evidence of a life growing in Christ that, that, that values Christ and lives according to him. And you see, Paul, as he looks at these believers, he sees the evidence in these Philippian believers. And that's why he gives thanks to the Philippians. In verse 5, he says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, some of your translations may say, in view of your fellowship in the gospel, and, and that's a perfectly good translation, because the word there is koinonia, a wheel, okay? And at the center of that wheel is this hub, and out of that hub comes all these different spokes, right? The center of that wheel is Jesus Christ, okay? It's, it's, it's Christ. So there is that koinonia, there is that shared life with Christ that every believer has. But because it is this wheel, there's also that connectedness that ever, every believer has with one another as well. And so we have this shared life. Another part of this idea of koinonia is the idea of being a partner. Uh, actually, it's sort of a, a business, like a business partner is what it's referring to. It's sort of sharing a common work. And so fellowship is not so much food and talk as it is working side by side in ministry. That's what biblical fellowship is. And Paul says, you have that fellowship. You have that partnership. You're working side by side with me and my other brothers as well for the sake of the gospel. And so uh, fellowship today could look more like church work days than fellowship meals or teaching Sunday school or preparing the communion elements or cleaning the church or witnessing together. Those are all examples, and there's so much more that, that is included in this idea of koinonia. Uh, for the Philippians, this koinonia manifests itself in a lot of different ways. There was the financial support. They partnered with the Apostle Paul by giving to him financially when he was in prison or when he was uh, sharing the gospel with other churches. Uh, they sent workers like Epaphroditus and others to go and to work alongside the Apostle Paul. They were also proclaiming the gospel alongside with Paul. And, and we see in chapter 1, verse 27, and the Philippians were also suffering for the sake of the gospel as well. Chapter 1 verse 30, and the Philippians were also inter uh, praying, intercessory prayers for the Apostle Paul, chapter 1, verse 19. All of these things were shows their partnership in the gospel. 
And so Paul is saying it's the fellowship, that shared life which he enjoyed with the Philippians, the participation, the mutual cooperation, the involvement that he and the Philippians had in the work of the gospel that made Paul not only joyful and to give thanks for them, but also showed him that there was the evidence of the work of God in one another's lives. How clearly, though, this strikes at the heart of the attitude that divides us from other Christians. We often separate ourselves from other believers because we believe that they are wrong, that they're on the wrong track, and, and we're on the right one. That they belong to a denomination that's going astray, or, or they do things that we regard as worldly, or they interpret some biblical doctrine differently from the way that we do. And we completely lose sight of the fact that God is as much at work in them as he is in us. Isn't that so true? Isn't it so easy for us to, to think about our relationship with the Lord and, and while we understand that we sin and we, we struggle, you know, we're, we're not denying that. But other than that, we feel like we're pretty tight with God. But we don't always see other believers like that. Especially if we struggle with those believers. If there's personality differences. If there's differences of belief and doctrine or there are things that I've already mentioned. There could be that sense in which I see myself in relation with God but I don't see them connected to the hub of that wheel, and I don't see the spoke in their life and that we're connected with one another. Oh, that we might have confidence in God's work in other Christians. If we did, we would not see them as those from whom we need to separate ourselves, lest we somehow be contaminated by them but as those from whom we can learn and maybe in whom the Lord might use us to help them as well. You see, when Paul examined the life of his Philippian friends and considered their, their practical devotion to the gospel, he added, you are all partakers, of, partakers with me of grace, verse 7. You see, it was the grace of God at work in them which produced this fruit and therefore Paul's confidence for the Philippians arose from the fact that he saw them as a work of God and he gave thanks and he prayed for them now I just want to close by looking at verse 8 the last thing that Paul says about these Christians is that he longs for them greatly for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, it's not just enough to tolerate other Christians. There's a sense in which we need to enjoy each other. A sense in which we must learn from one another and value and appreciate one another. And furthermore, this, this fellowship must be one that is constantly expanding to include other Christians, even those whom you have nev never met. But, but those whom you are eternally united with in Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that in mind as, as a church. 
as the Lord continues to cause us to grow numerically. He's going to bring others into the church. And I understand the reality that you can't maintain a relationship with everybody in the church as, as closely as you can with other people in the church. I understand that dynamic, but we must never forget that we are always connected with everyone in the church. And so we must care for them, even if we can't maintain all these relationships throughout the week with them, we ought to be checking on them. We ought to care for them. That's why in our bulletin, we pray through the families, through the directory of our church, you know. And if you're praying for somebody and you're thinking, wow, I don't know how to pray for this person. Honestly, I don't even know that I know them that well. Then I hope that would cause you the next Sunday uh, to find them and say, hey, I, I was to pray for you this week and I did. But I just realized I didn't know how to pray for you as well as I could. How can I pray for you? Get to know them. Spend some time. It doesn't mean you have to become best buds, but just understand the reality of that connectedness, that koinonia, that fellowship that you have in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a wonderful illustration of this expansion of Christian fellowship in, in the final chapter of Romans. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 16, and, and I'm particularly going to be looking at verses 21 through 23. Um, Paul's been working on this letter uh, that he's going to send out, and many of the Christians of Corinth most likely were, were gathered there as he dictated this, this letter. And, and James Montgomery Boyce sort of describes, sort of gives us a narrative of, of uh, you know, maybe what this could have looked like. Now, understand that this is just the imagination of one preacher we don't know for a fact it happened this way but he says this he goes now they were assembled to hear paul's final teaching gaius is there a rich man and a believer in whose house paul was living gaius had provided paul with a slave to transcribe his dictation uh, erastus is also there he's he's an elected official the treasurer of the city then there are Paul's fellow workers, Timothy, Lucius, Jason, and Sassipater. Excuse me, I can't say that, I'm sorry. There are slaves, Tertius, and the slave who actually wrote the letter, as Paul dictated it, and Quartus, a, a low-ranking slave of the household. And he goes, look at what happens as Paul draws his letter to the close. And this is where he sort of imagines this happening, but we don't know for certain. He says he has finished one set of greetings and he makes some final remarks and he adds a benediction. Now he looks around the group surrounding him and he sees they are all genuinely interested in the Christians at Rome whom they have never seen to whom Paul is writing. Now that is true. They had never met them. But he begins to include greetings from the Christians at Corinth by name. Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sassipater, my relatives. At this point, Paul stops. But Tertius, the slave, keeps on writing as scribes sometimes did in antiquity. And, and he writes, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Verse 22. Then Paul picks up again with a reference to his host and the treasure of Corinth. 
Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you greetings. Erastus, who is the city director of public works, verses 22 and 23. At this point, Quartus, the least important slave, is afraid of being left out and raises his hand. And Paul adds quickly, oh, and Quartus, a brother. All have been included. All have expressed their greetings in the Lord for a group of believers none of them have ever seen. Right? Because they are connected in Jesus Christ. They have that koinonia. And Paul goes on to end the epistle with four more verses. And what a revelation of true Christian fellowship. What an example for us as Christians of that connectedness that we have in Christ. Now, we don't, like I said, we don't know if it actually happened that way as we looked around the room, but we do see that Paul includes them uh, in his letter. Now, you may not be an apostle like Paul, but you may be able, like Gaius, to open your home to Christians. Uh, you may not be rich like Erastus. You may be poor like Tertius or Portus. Uh, you may have no home to open, but you can open your hearts to care for one another and to serve one another. And through you, the love of Christ can go out to believers around the world, even those whom you have never met or seen. You see, God is no respecter of men's wealth or of men's position, but he is pleased with the reality of Christian fellowship. As John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Brothers and sisters, let us not mistakenly place our eyes upon the sin that one another has and the struggle. Now, I'm not saying there's not times. We know the Bible tells us there are times where we need to confront our brother because we love them. Uh, but even that we do in love because we care for them and we love them so much. Not just because their dirt's splashing up on us and we don't like to deal with the consequences of their sins but because we genuinely care for them. But let us understand that God is at work in our midst, and let us rejoice in that, and let us pray that God's work would continue in the midst of each and every one of us. And so I hope you take the time, as, 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 as you take your bulletin each week, that you are praying for one another, and not just praying generically for families. I hope you are praying for every kid by name and lifting them up, and praying that the Lord would work in their hearts and he would glorify himself in them. And so let me ask you as we close this morning, how are you expressing the koinonia, that, that fellowship, that partnership in the gospel with those that are around you here at Kirk of the Plains? What evidence is there in your life that God has begun a good work in you and will complete it? Do you rejoice and give thanks to God for his work, not only in your own life and that of your household, but also in the life of other believers, not only in our church, but outside of our church with others that you know as well? Is your life one of thanksgiving and joy, longing for other believers, not just tolerating them, but enjoying their company, loving to be around other believers? Is there any sin that separates you from other Christians 
that you need to go to them and you need to confess and be reconciled to the person. You see, it's, it's, it's sort of providential that today we come to the Lord's Supper, which is a table of thanksgiving, but also a table of unity. Uh, we must examine our hearts to know that that which we profess publicly is what we truly live internally as well. And so let us give thanks to God. Let's take a few moments just to, to meditate and, and, and just silently pray to the Lord if, as he leads you um, before we go on in our worship this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for the word that you have given to us. Uh, Lord, not just a, a reminder to do better, but a, a reminder to focus on the realities of what you were doing, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of our brothers and our sisters uh, in our church and, and in the world. Oh God, If we have given ourselves over to sin, to wrongful thinking, if we have a division with another brother or sister in Christ, Lord, if we need to be made right with someone, may you so work on our hearts, God, to do that. But also, Lord, may you encourage us as we get to know one another and we see the work that you were doing in one another. That, Lord, that like the Apostle Paul we would give thanks in every remembrance of each other and just thank God to see the things that he is doing in the lives of our brothers and our sisters. And may that compel us to pray for them and, and to love them, to walk alongside them as Paul did with the Philippians and vice versa. Oh God, it is amazing the work that you were doing in your church and the glorious uh, things that you are doing as you take uh, uh, us sinful human beings that struggle with sin uh, and even in the midst of our struggle God you still accomplish something to your praise and your glory oh Lord please continue your work in us we ask this in your name amen